This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyus Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... I have to take care of the children. I have a home to run. I can't be staying more than five hours at a fueling station waiting for fuel. We did not even come that day. That's Elizabeth Lingala, who runs a restaurant business in Malawi's capital on the challenges of getting gasoline. Details coming up also. Talks continue between Ethiopia's federal government and its Tigray region. And the balance of power in the U.S. Congress is at stake today in the midterm elections. And the U.S. government has designated five South Africans as global terrorists. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The global summit on climate change known as COP27 is in Egypt, prompting calls for focusing on African countries, which are some of the most vulnerable to warming planet, despite being among the world's lowest emitters of greenhouse gases. Last year, the biggest polluting countries promised to slice their emissions and help poor countries deal with climate change. Few have done so. VOA's Carol Van Dam asked Nasreen El-Sayam of Sudan, chairperson of the United Nations Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change, who is at the conference, if she expects things to be different this time around. No, I don't think so, and that's for many reasons. First of all, we are now in a by far worse world than we were last year in Glasgow. And secondly, uh, unfortunately, um, in, in the different years, and I'm talking even last year and this year and the year before, etc., we inherited like a, a lack of trust of the promises of the different politicians and also, also different um, groups and uh, different negotiators, maybe. And now we move into not having hopes or even having um, requests, but having demands more of. Um, and the main idea is that maybe this COP is different in the matter of every year they don't say that the COP failed, but they say, well, we reach an agreement on something that it doesn't, at the end, totally means that they reach an agreement to not agree. Uh, maybe they would be more bold this year and say, well, we have a lot of obstacles uh, because they have good excuses like the war in Ukraine, etc., etc. In like the pandemic, they've had other excuses, but Wait, you so know. Maybe they would be bold enough to actually admit the truth that they failed this COVID instead of uh, diplomatic uh, discussions and sentences that mean that they did not do it, they don't want to admit it. So as a young person and the head of the U.N. Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group, what specific commitments are you wanting to see happen this year? Well, uh, last year, the language was uh, diluted. And instead of using phasing out of fossil fuel, they used phase down. Uh, so I think going back to phasing out of fossil fuel um, is going to be a great win. Also, climate finance, um, the language we are talking about from the Paris Agreement and even before that is $100 billion, And then there is a push for uh, $200 billion, And then uh, there is a push for a trillion dollar, actually, um, yet we did not even reach the target of the 100 billion, um, not mentioning the trillion uh, goal. So I think also having a movement and um, progress on the climate finance is going to be very important. 
I think the last thing for me would be adaptation. And because I think that prevention is always better than cure, um, I really think that, yes, we, 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 we need loss and damage at some point. Well, when you talk about loss and damage, there's been a lot of talk about that. Do you expect to really see some concrete language when the conference is over on loss and damage? Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, I think the main the main tactic is to have it as an endorsement here to maybe make people satisfied. But then, what are the achievements um, on this um, language? It's, it's, this is going to be the tricky one, and I don't think they will reach agreement on it this year. That's Nasreen El Sayam, chairperson of the UN Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. She was speaking to Carol Van Dam from COP27 in Sharm El Sheikh. As President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi welcomed world leaders for the COP27, Mohammed Anwar Sadat, president of the Egyptian Liberal Party of the Development and Reform, urged him not to seek re-election in 2024. Sadat says Sisi could be a role model as an incumbent president who willingly steps down and gives the new generation a chance to lead the country. He explained to VOA senior analyst Mohammed al-Shanawi what prompted him to issue this call. Actually, this is something I felt as a politician, following what is really happening in the country and also appreciating what President Sisi have been doing during the last eight, nine years. I thought that it might be good for everyone if the president, since he will be already having two terms, 10 years, and he have been trying hard to restore order and to try to make new Egypt, modern Egypt, that maybe it's time that he should say, I had enough, I will give a chance to a new generation for the new republic, for again making the example that, as he always say, that he is not after power and that he did what he promised the people to do. And it's a new era. And this was all, let's say, my take, my dream, my hope that he will consider this and do this genuinely by himself, by his own will. Nothing has been coordinated with any institutions inside the country or outside the country. It's all something personal. I thought it might be a good idea. It might be something unique. The president, if he do it, it might be helpful for everyone. But his supporters responded with a hashtag titled We will support CC for 2030 ahead of a call to demonstrate against him on November 11. What's your take on that? Well, that was expected. Of course, some people, they like the idea. Other people whom they are President Sisi supporters, they don't like it. Some of them, they have attacked me. Some of them, as I said, they welcome the idea. This was just an idea which I throw for him and maybe others to think about. Maybe it might help in Egypt future and it might help also for seeing some candidates whom they might make added value to the future of this country. So it has nothing to do with the 11-11 demonstrations because I'm not expecting much will happen or maybe nothing will happen at all for different reasons. Egyptians have enough with the economic situation and with the pressure they have. So no one, in my opinion, is interested or happy 
to be part of any demonstrations in the coming week or two. So it has nothing to do with this call for these demonstrations because some people believe that this was a, a balloon test or a kind of something I work out with some of the intelligence to make people relax and that the president is not going to run again. No, this is completely something in my own as an idea expressing how I see things And, of course, we will have to wait and see. And still it's too early for 2024, but it's just an idea. As a politician, I was trying to express my view. And that was uh, Mohammed Anwar Sadat, president of the Egyptian Liberal Party of uh, Development and Reform, speaking with VOA's Mohammed Al-Shinawi. The Ugandan government says it will end the school year early due to an Ebola outbreak that has affected 23 students, including eight who died. Halima Tumani reports from Kampala, Uganda. Millions of Ugandan students in primary and secondary schools will be affected by the decision to end the semester two weeks early due to the ongoing Ebola virus outbreak. Joyce Moriku Kaduchu, the state minister for education, announced the closure on Tuesday. Pre-primary, primary and secondary schools will close for term three holidays on Friday 25th November 2022. According to the Minister of Education, Ebola cases were found at five schools in the Kampala, Wakiso and Mobende districts. Kaduchu said the cabinet of President Yerum Seveni made the decision to close schools nationwide based on concerns that crowded schools will increase infection rates for the virus. The schools with affected children have been cordoned off and are being asked to decontaminate their facilities so children can safely return after the new year. The decision to end the school term early is a disappointment to many families. Ugandan schools were closed for two years because of the COVID-19 pandemic before reopening earlier this year. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. Talks continue in Nairobi today between Ethiopia's federal government and its Tigray region following last week's peace deal between the two. French news agency AFP says commanders from both sides are tasked with discussing how to implement the truce. That includes addressing disarmament issues, including plans of disarming rebels of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF. The African Union says the meeting should also provide a roadmap for humanitarian and aid and restoration of services in Tigray. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out VOA News. The U.S. government has designated five South Africans as global terrorists using front companies to provide technical, financial, or material support to the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS, terror network. The action follows an alert less than two weeks ago by the U.S. Embassy in Johannesburg warning of the possibility of a terrorist attack in the city. Darren Taylor reports. 
Global intelligence agencies say South Africa is now firmly in the sights of terror groups because its troops are fighting ISIS-affiliated extremists in Democratic Republic of Congo and Mozambique. South Africa has very advanced banking and communication sectors. In July, a United Nations Security Council report said ISIS is using the country to fund allies across Africa. In a statement yesterday, U.S. Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson, said key ISIS members and their businesses being targeted in South Africa have played pivotal roles in enabling terrorism. It named businessman Farhad Huma as an ISIS commander, saying he continues to express the will and intent to attack the interests of the U.S. and its allies. Huma told a local Islamic radio station, only Allah knows where the U.S. is getting its information. That question you asked the wrong person. You actually need to ask that question to the U.S. who put out the statement that people from South Africa are funded in the Islamic State. We actually want to sue the United States for wrong information and bad-mouthing me. I don't know who the other brothers are they're talking about. The other guys, we don't know who they are. U.S. intelligence says two brothers... 50-year-old Nufael and 43-year-old Yunus Akbar are members of an ISIS cell operating from Huma's house in the east coast city of Durban. The U.S. Treasury names Nufael as central commanding figure and Yunus as an enforcer and logistical coordinator. Nufael's a gold trader and also manages a construction company while the statement links Yunus with a waterproofing firm. In 2018, Huma and 11 others were arrested for allegedly attacking a Shia mosque in Durban. The imam was murdered, other victims were stabbed. The alleged perpetrators included two other US-sanctioned individuals, Muhammad and Umar Akbar, who were also charged with planning a bombing campaign. The state later dropped all the charges. Then, in June 2021, Huma was again arrested at a warehouse in Durban. Police seized several firearms, including an AK-47 and 5,000 rounds of ammunition. Huma said the guns were for protection and hunting. Again, all criminal charges were dropped, prosecutors citing a poor police investigation. They couldn't prove one of the allegations that they put on me. And right. now the United States gets involved, which is even more worse because the United States are just a big bunch of bullies. They go around bullying everyone, threatening the world. They are a bunch of liars. Huma's lawyer, Yusuf Kasim, denies his client has ever channeled money to ISIS. We've never ever seen any proof of those transactions. And we believe that they have been investigating with all the financial spheres of government for a long time now. And they've basically come up with nothing. So we are very interested to see what particular financial transactions they allege we partook in in terms of ISIS funding, etc. Kasim insists Huma's a legitimate businessman owning jewellery and shoe stores. The lawyer describes the latest U.S. sanctions against his client as draconian. Look, I mean, obviously the financial sanctions is one thing. We don't really have any uh, assets or investments in the U.S., but... How it will or has been affecting him is the travel ban. The fact that he cannot travel to most countries because he is 
red listed, cited as a sort of threat to a lot of countries. In March, in an interview with a global initiative against transnational organized crime, Humer denied being a terrorist, but said he was willing to fight to establish an Islamic caliphate. He described democracy as evil, saying Sharia law was the best thing to free Muslims from slavery. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The balance of power in the U.S. Congress is at stake today as voters decide whether Democrats will continue to hold the majority in the Senate and House, either delivering a boost for Joe Biden's presidency or shifting power to Republicans. VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson reports from one of the key places in election 2022 from the southern state of Georgia. From Pennsylvania to Ohio. Nevada to New Hampshire, candidates making the final push in campaigns that will decide the direction of the United States for the next two years. And in the key state of Georgia, the day beginning with a prayer. This election season, Lord, I pray. And a warning from Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker. We got to get it right because if we don't get it right, we won't recognize this country tomorrow. Walker's supporters frustrated with President Joe Biden, Georgia voter Emmett Shedd. After all what Democrats have done, I just can't sit back and allow the country to just fall behind. The border crisis is out of control, and uh, it doesn't appear that Joe Biden's going to do anything about it. In a recent Pew Research Center poll, more than three-quarters of U.S. voters surveyed said the economy was their top concern this election. The housing market, um, the price of gas, um, you know, you're noticing in the grocery stores, you know, food is uh, um, very, very expensive and there's items that you can't even find anymore. Because democracy itself is on the ballot. we got to show up tomorrow. Walker's opponent, Senator Raphael Warnock, won a runoff election in January 2021 that gave Democrats control of the U.S. Senate and the ability to enact Biden's agenda. The economy is the number one issue for me, and I think that the Democratic Party and Senator Warnock in particular really kind of focus on the everyday issues of everyday Americans. The Republicans like to talk about the stock market and everything. And after the U.S. Supreme Court decision in June ending the federal right to abortion, social issues have also motivated female and independent voters to vote for Democrats. That's very concerning to me. I think everybody um, should have access to health care, whether what your personal views are on Roe v. Wade or abortion. What size you need, baby? Voters here in Georgia are key in deciding control of the U.S. Senate. This is just one of a handful of races nationwide that are still too close to call and will give either party a narrow majority. All 435 U.S. House seats are also up for re-election, with most polls showing Republicans will take control. Catherine Gibson, VOA News, Macon, Georgia.
Drivers in Malawi are spending all night in long lines at gas stations in hopes of filling up as the country struggles with weeks-long fuel shortage. Authorities blame a lack of foreign currency for the shortage, which has forced motorists to either wait or buy fuel on the black market at more than double the price. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. The situation has forced some motorists to leave their vehicles at home and walk or use public transport to get to work or places of business. Elizabeth Lingala runs a restaurant business in a Blanta market about six kilometers from her home in the Pemba area. She says she stopped using her car Monday after a futile attempt to buy fuel at a pumping station. For example, last Sunday, I went there 4.30 a.m., but up until 10, I had no fuel, and I had to leave that place. I am a woman. I have to take care of the children. I have a home to run. I can't be staying more than five hours at a fueling station waiting for fuel, which did not even come that day. Users also flooded the social media with reports of some people being robbed of their phones and other property and cars being broken into while motorists waited in line for fuel at night. Fuel has been in short supply in Malawi for about two months. Authorities say this is largely because of foreign exchange shortages which affected the loading of fuel for Malawi at the ports of Beira, Mozambique and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. During a press conference over the weekend, government authorities failed to give clear answers to when the problem would end. Henry Kachaje is executive director for Malawi Energy Regulatory Authority. Kachaje said he hopes the situation will start to normalize from mid-November if efforts to source foreign exchange are achieved. These include 60 million US dollars the government said has sourced. We also have some assurance that uh, negotiations that have uh, been ongoing with uh, one international financier are almost completed. And uh, once that comes on board, uh, then uh, uh, the national uh, oil company, uh, which is also responsible uh, for managing the strategic reserves, is going to have adequate resources to help restock uh, the strategic reserves. In the meantime, those in need of the commodity the most have been buying fuel from the black market, where prices are more than double the pump price. To end the problem, the Malawi Energy Regulatory Authority has suspended permits to buy fuel in a bag using jellicans, saying many people were abusing it by purchasing fuel only to resell it on the black market. Now those who use generator seats are carrying their gadgets while waiting in line at the gas stations. Humphrey Vula is a planter-based analyst on good governance. He says foreign exchange problems could have been avoided if President Lazarus Chakwera had not ended a financial assistance agreement with the International Monetary Fund after taking power in 2020. The Chakwera administration cancelled the agreement known as Extended Credit Facility over an allegation that the former administration of President Peter Mutalika falsified documents to the IMF on the administration of the ECF funds. The Alliance was not unfortunate that they decided to cancel this ECF to correct the problem before they had established other means of generating the forex or before they had introduced contingency measures 
that would curtail excessive use of forex. Mvula says the only solution for Malawi to resolve the forex exchange issue is to embark on programs that would increase the country's export base rather than the current situation where the country is heavily relying on imports and date. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokvilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.